so we've done uh, some stuff on there around uh, sex and things like that, you know, and all sorts of things. Well, that's going to get the listeners in. Yes. to this week's episode of the Social Work Tutor Podcast, where I am joined by Kaylee Rose Evans. Kaylee, firstly, thank you ever so much for coming on the show. I have followed you and watched your YouTube videos for well over a year now. And finally, I have mustered the courage to reach out and invite you onto the show. So thank you ever so much. Before we begin, would you like to introduce yourself to the social work world and tell our listeners a little bit about you? Yes, thank you. So it's an absolute privilege to be asked. And I was uh, very pleased when you said that you'd notice what I've been doing. Um, So I've been doing YouTube uh, for the past year or so, particularly over lockdown. Um, And I'm a social worker. Uh, My experience has been with adults, uh, but my prior experience has been supporting children um, as charitable roles. I did come into social work straight from um, college and then uh, I went to university and went straight into practice. So if there's any other people that have done that, I know what that's like. Sometimes uh, you can get challenged for that, uh, but I uh, never wanted to do anything else. So I'm happy to be in the position I am now um, and just sharing things on social media. And now I've got the confidence to do it. Um, And um, yeah, I'm really happy to be asked on this podcast. Thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure. No, no, the thanks are all mine, my friend. It's an interesting point you make there about how you you mentioned that you came straight into social work from, you know, school to college, then university to social work, because there is a bit of a stigma. There's a bit of ageism in social work, but kind of reverse ageism, isn't there? I I, I came in, I I started social work at 29, so I was, you know, I, I, I yeah, a, a long way beyond 21 by the time I came into social work. But one of my um, co-hosts on the on the podcast, Tilly, was the same as you, and and she would quite often and has quite often told me that there was a degree of stigma because of her age, and she particularly found it in children's social work from perhaps clients when she would go out and they'd be like, "Well, who are you to tell me how to look after my children? You're 21." 22 year old and you don't have any children of your own but you also found it from colleagues as well so had you experienced a similar thing coming into the career fresh out of university in your early 20s yeah and um I did find that actually and I think the reason that I've brought it up now is it's something that I've recently talked about on my YouTube channel um, mm. and I've realized that from sharing that that a lot of people did find the same it was particularly a problem uh, that I noticed when I was on placement but obviously I was younger then and mm. I'm now five years into practice so it doesn't happen as much but I do tend to think that you're easier to um it's easier to get critique like that when you are uh, a little bit more self-doubting you doubting yourself and you're not as confident um whereas now I feel sure of myself and what I'm doing so I, I don't tend to get it so I don't know if it's that I look different or if um, it's just my experience now but I just thought it'd be an interesting thing to to raise really in case any of your listeners have had the same experiences 
Yeah, yeah, certainly. I, I, I get quite a lot. I get quite a lot of emails and, and messages and tweets regarding imposter syndrome in general. Mm-hmm. And that could be linked to various different things. It could be linked to people not feeling that they may be academic enough, not feeling they're experienced enough, feeling not really as if they're fitting in. And, and sometimes it can also be because of ages. But now i've i've never i've never experienced any poor practice or any unethical or ineffective practice whatsoever throughout the decade that i've been involved in social work i've never once experienced any issues with social workers because they've come into the career at a younger age. I mean, I, I quite often say, Katie, when people ask me for why didn't you come into social work when I was younger? And I'm quite honest and they say, God, when I was 21, I was closer to needing a social worker <laughs> than being a social worker. And I don't say that flippantly. I mean, I genuinely, I genuinely probably could have done with some sort of Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Given the way I was I was a wild, I was a wild man, Kaylee, and far too, far too wild to even hint at those stories on a podcast. <laughs> with our audience <laughs> in our reach when I've got such a such a good guest and a reputable guest as you on the show but yeah I I was nowhere near ready but I work alongside some social workers in their early 20s who are absolutely superb uh, mature gifted bright astute very well spoken know for theory well great person-centered skills and I, I I do. It saddens me when I do hear some comments and see some negativity towards people who come into the profession at a younger age because we 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 work with all sorts of people, so we need mm-hmm. all sorts of backgrounds. And I I take my hat off to people that come into social work straight from straight from college into university because to know that you want to dedicate yourself to the service of others at such a young age, I think, is terribly admirable. So. What was university like for you? Tell me a bit about your time at university. Did you enjoy university? Were there challenges? What What was your experience like at university training to be a social worker? Um, so I studied at Keele University, which is a beautiful university uh, campus. Mm. It's a bit like Harry Potter. That's what it reminds me of. There's like a, a really amazing library and everything's really green and uh, yeah, quite beautiful. But in terms of um, studying, I felt like it was it was a good university for me uh, because the the teaching was good. I, the, the group was really diverse. Um, one of the things that I did struggle with initially was I, I bring it down to um, like my self-doubt again I, I used to struggle quite a lot with um, feeling overwhelmed when I didn't know things and for the for the first year I found it very difficult um, and I had a really supportive family member who um, is my godmother and she mm. she used to say you're not meant to know it all at first so that sort <laughs> of helped me because <laughs> I always want to know things straight away and I think that was my problem so I think when I was writing things I'd just jump into it without a plan and just try and get it done just to get that feeling of uh, the burden away of having it hanging over me all the assignments and things um I had a bit of a shift in the way that I was doing things. I I managed to completely change my mindset over time. Uh, And I'd say that what it was, was uh, really listening to a lot of audio books in the car when I was on my commutes uh, around mindset. Uh, And I know people say a lot of things about self-help books, but I've got to say they really helped me. Uh, Listening to people like Jim Rohn and Les Brown. 
Uh, I just listened to it so much that it became my subconscious thoughts uh, and it just completely changed how I thought about myself. Um, and then I ended up, uh, that that transpired into slowing down and, and believing that I could do uh, the writing. My, my writing improved. Um, yeah. I took a more planned approach and I ended up going from like getting two twos and struggling, uh, then moving up slowly to a two one. And I came out with a first in the wow. end. And yeah, and it, and it was like quite a journey really. And, and I feel that um, it was understanding you know the sort of people that you should have around you and mm. I think for me I I did a lot better when I was on placement and I could really see the, uh, the relevance of what I was learning mm. I, I definitely think I'm quite a practical person and then that's when the theory makes sense so that was my journey really and I just want to add on at the end there that I don't actually think it's it makes any difference, you know, if you get a first or whatever, it's a vocational degree. And I think just getting through it is is good. And everyone has different circumstances. So I didn't have children at the time and I was living away so I could spend loads of hours in the library and things. But uh, for me, it was just that self-belief that I gained from achieving it. And I think that that stayed with me over time. And I had a I had a load of quotes that I'd put above my desk and uh, I kept a book with me where I'd put my ideas down and I just started to think well my ideas have value my thoughts have value and it changed me and I liked a quote by Eleanor Roosevelt that no one can make you feel inferior without your consent yes. and I've written that down because it honestly changed me uh, just just feeling that way so yeah that's a bit of my story that's such an important mindset to get into isn't it and it, it's almost it's uh, i read a lot of stoic philosophy marcus aurelius mm -hmm. seneca cato the younger and so on and people are often a bit thrown about why i read philosophical books from 2000 years ago the reason i read a lot about stoicism is that mindset that you've said there that you you are the only body you are the only person who can be responsible for your feelings yes people can do ill to you people can do heinous things to you and of course in social work we see firsthand the devastating trauma that can be wrought upon people through abuse and neglect we see that yeah but how i thank god have not you know perceived any such significant abuse and neglect how i do perceive the slights that befall me are in my control and what you've said there from eleanor roosevelt about needing permission to upset you or offend you or degrade you or make you feel inferior something that i've learned i sadly did not learn it as early in my life as you Kaylee. that's something i've come to learn maybe in the past couple of years really and as we'll get on to a lot of my development in that came because of negative comments against me on social media that i i took to heart and then i realized that actually you know people can only upset me if i allow them to and when i had that mindset change it significantly changed me i also like the point you made there about understanding that it can sometimes be easier 
or there can be less barriers when people such as yourself, or when I was studying, I was in a similar position to you when I did my degree in child and family studies. I was a single man with no children, part-time job that fit around university. And equally, when I did my social work master's, I wasn't single then, but I mm-hmm. didn't have the level of commitments. And yet I compare it to some of my friends, one of my closest friends in social work, she used to take her infant daughter into the university library with her on weekends whilst her partner was working and used to have her daughter in the library with her while she was doing her university work. Such was the level of sacrifice she had to go through. And she didn't come out with a first-class degree. But when I think about the effort that she had to put in and the dedication, you know, that that degree took up every single waking hour of her free time whilst she was also raising children, working as a project worker in a supported housing accommodation for young mums. It is a fair point you make there, Kaylee, that whilst we, some people will judge us on our degree outcomes, it is an unfair playing field dependent upon the ability people have got and also dependent upon the sacrifices in their personal lives. Yeah. And and a good friend of mine, Jerry Skelton, said that the people that we support won't care if we've got a first or a two one or whatever, will they? They just well, want Kaylee, us to, to have you Have you ever been asked what class degree you've ever had in an interview? Oh, um, no, I have. I've never yeah. been asked, although sometimes when I'm applying for things, um, it does ask me that what I've got. Um, yeah. but I, I think that might be because, you know, I've done a lot of different things now um, and sometimes on the forms. But I don't think that people particularly take notice of that. I, I've never I've had nine different jobs within social work now and not not once have I ever been questioned about the class of my degree. I've had a lot of questions about my experience and my training, my ability, how I apply my knowledge, theories, frameworks, understanding of legislation, how I got on in teams and all the usual questions. But in all the interviews I've had and of all the questions I've faced as I've gone from job to job, I've never once been asked about the quality of my degree. However, that is not to downplay anybody for getting a first. I want to make it very clear. It's, it's something that, you know, we, we can be very proud of, particularly people such as yourself, Kaylee, you've gone at a certain level and, and built up. And I see that a lot with the students I support, you know, going in at a certain level. And it can sometimes just be little tweaks, whether that's some mm-hmm. changes in writing or, as you found, actually expanding your learning. It's interesting what you said there about that you sort of learned about the self-help and that personal development personally. Do you think universities should have more responsibility to develop us as people as well as social workers during our time in education? Yeah, I I think that would be great if they did that. I think there's a lot of uh, psychology that I've learned, you know, from accessing YouTube and books and things that I think could have been really, really helpful uh, within the social work training and all of the things that I've learned myself from my only independent study really has massively helped me with supporting Mm. other people in my practice because uh, it's all practical stuff that just really helps you in life Um, and I think that sort of thing would have been really beneficial on on our training yeah that's why I did a diploma in counselling last year so I it was weird that I started that when I was very deep into my career, but I, I realised that there were a lot of practical skills that I felt I needed more 
understanding mm-hmm. of and that's why I did a counseling diploma and it served me really well it served me really well and, and rather than perhaps talking about person-centered practice in university and writing an, an assignment on it I actually went and I spent a year doing a diploma actually learning how to engage with people one-to-one and it really really enriched my practice it really added a lot to me doing that it really yeah. did um anyway we've got you on the show today because you are my expert in social media my friend I've anointed you the the, the expert <laughs> in social media so you can have that you can put that on your next CV social work <laughs> yeah. tutor said I was the social media expert before we get into discussing social media in the context of social work um what would you think of social media in general and the reason i asked this question is there social media is getting a bit of a bad rep these days there are there's a there's a lot of things out there a lot of things being said there are a lot of views a lot of news articles about the damage that social media was causing to society a lot of people you know talk about you know social media was responsible for trump's election back in 2016 Mm -hmm. a lot of people will blame social media for spreading hatred and misinformation so before we talk about social media in the context of social work what do you think of social media in general is it a useful tool for society is it a negative tool is it as damaging as perhaps some fear mongers are making out to our younger generations? Well, I'd like to start with this and say, use social media, don't let it use you. That's the first thing that comes to mind because I feel that everything is targeted, isn't it? We get the targeted ads. Um, You can feel like you're in control of it, but you have to be very, very aware of how much data it has on you, um, the, the access people have to to your personal information is becoming an increasing issue, isn't it? And, but I do think that there's a lot of benefit that uh, for social media, I mean, um, the opportunities that you can get from globalization from social media is uh, immense, but then it's also meaning that other people have to use social media, uh, that it might be the businesses and they have to change their entire structure. Mm. And there's a lot more competition, isn't there now? Uh, and if you're not on social media, uh, that can be difficult for businesses yeah. and people. I think social media brings about lots of different issues, um, especially for the people that we support as well you know if you don't have access to it you can be isolated um but i do think that what i'm particularly interested in is the revolution that's come from social media and technology um the the access people have to information uh, and meeting people really that are completely in line with their interests um i think it's moved away from uh, certain people only being able to publish things to giving a wider range of people a voice and I think it gives people more choice about what information they want to consume so rather Mm. than just being um having access to uh, say peer-reviewed articles you you can access a wider range of information which means that you can learn about things without having to go to university so it is less elitist in that way but I think Overall, I think there's pros and cons, but I do think 
bring it back to that thing about you have to use it and not let it use you. Um, and I think for young people, you have to be very careful because it's a big, big part of your life. And it's. A, it, I think the moment you're on social media, it does change you. Uh, it changes the way we communicate and interact and everything really. So I think it's massive, but I think it's a part of life. And I think it's just yeah. about um, getting to grips with it. What do you think? <laughs> Yeah, but pretty much in line with you, my friend. I I sort of sway a bit because at times I'll I'll, I'll blame social media for me being lazy and me procrastinating. But as you've said there, the truth is it's me. If it wasn't for social media, I would have been doing something else. I'd have been reading a book. I'd have been reading a magazine. I'd have been playing, the, I'd have been playing computer games or something. If I go back my entire life, pre and, pre and post social media, I procrastinated. So I think it can be easy. It can be an easy argument for us to blame social media for a lot of society's ills. But my view is that social media is, uh, it's a mirror, it's a reflection of society. Mm -hmm. So whatever we see on social media, it isn't social media. Social media isn't an amalgamous beast, it isn't a creation of its own making. Social media is made up of human beings. And the human beings are going to act in a nefarious way and are going to wind each other and are going to argue. Before social media, that was happening in, in angry people writing letters to newspapers or people arguing in the village square it hasn't changed society yes it might amplify these feelings because an angry person a person with a vendetta a person with an issue a person looking to sow discord and hatred amongst society has now got a bigger platform to do that but that platform can only be amplified by people. We know the algorithms we see in our own use of social media. I know that if I put something out on the Social Work Tutor Facebook page, if it doesn't get lots of likes, comments and shares within the first 10, 20 minutes, it isn't amplified. Social media use is only amplified if you have an audience, if you have people that are interested in it. So whilst, yes, the argument is that perhaps social media is feeding a right-wing society or it's feeding a left-wing society or whatever view you want, Want to go down and use social media as the antithesis of your personal religious or political persuasion it's just given a platform people are going to have those views regardless what were your first experiences of social media what was your you know early what were your early experiences of social media what were the first sort of platforms you were on and and how was your use of social media changed over time Oh, when I was younger, it was uh, MSN, Facebook. Um, MSN, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love um, it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's changed, yeah. I used to just post you know my holiday snaps and all sorts yeah. but now I'm a social worker I, I am aware and also from being interested in studying social media I am aware that everything is really public no matter yeah. how tight you think your security settings are and I'm a a lot more modest about what I share now and I have gone back through and deleted things and I think over time you just realize that you you don't want to share certain things and I think you're more careful and I think as well um it, I think now it, I think it's very different now because if you're at school people are posting more yes. and I think it's not very clear that how how bad that could be for your future because it is yeah. always there. The permanency of information and what you share can really come back to bite you later on. And I think 
that can happen to high profile people, can't it? And um, oh, you, you see it, you see it happen all the time. People's tweets that they sent out ten years ago or so come back and see them cancel from certain events. Yeah. I, I honestly feel quite grateful, Kaylee, that I. Mm. I was in my early 20s before social media really took off. You know, Facebook came out in 2006, 2007. I was 23 by that point. So I feel incredibly grateful that the pictures of me when I was raving and uh, mm. being a, a wild boy uh, in my teenage and early 20s, um, they're just on people's Polaroids and you know, people's yeah. actually we used to go out with an actual camera um and get them developed. Uh you know, social media, my first experience of social media were like MySpace back in 2004 2005 so it wasn't really a thing when I was at university first time around social media wasn't really a thing and I'm I'm grateful for that I'm sort of I'm grateful that I was part of the last generation you know I was born in 1983 so I was really part of the last generation who didn't have social media in their childhood teenage years and early 20s um, my first experience of social media were, were, were sites like, um, yeah, using MSN Messenger to talk to people. Um, there was Face Party, which was a bit like Facebook, but it was before Facebook, Face Party, and you could sort of put a little profile of yourself. There was a site called Friends Reunited, which was a bit like Facebook. You could put your email address and name in, and people who hadn't met you for years could connect. But, yeah, you, you had to know people in person generally. The only time you would really meet strangers online and engage with them as if you went on forums and if you went on chat rooms which just don't seem to be a thing these days before i keep showing just how old i am <laughs> um let's talk about social media and social work because you have discussed it there um tell me about your interest in social media and social work and in particular the dissertation that you're working on where did you get the idea for this connection between taking what you do for a profession and social media putting them together and then studying it where, where was the genesis point for that and where are you going with it okay so I've been studying a master's in social work. So you get the opportunity uh, once you've finished your degree to do your ASYE. But then that adds up to 60 credits. And then if you add on a few more modules, you can uh, work it up to a master's. So that's what I've been doing for the past few years, just module by module. Um, as part of that, I... I met a, a lecturer who recommended that I go on Twitter because he felt that it would be a good tool for me to mm. use. That was really helpful for me. And it really did help with my academic writing and meeting people and, and actually getting opportunities to meet really interesting people. Yeah. And yeah, so I started off with that. And then uh, I've obviously decided to start the YouTube channel, uh, which has been a bit of a process really of, of realizing that there is a gap on YouTube for anything uh, social work wise really from the UK I know there's a few things out there but I think it is mainly American uh, yeah. stuff that's on there and I and I do think it's really useful what's on but it's just I do think there's some differences between the way we practice in the UK and in America as well 
So I wanted to contribute towards that. But in terms of um, Twitter, I suppose I just realized how beneficial it has been for me. And then I wanted to share that with others because it was it made me realize how useful it would have been for me as a student to have access to the networks I now have mm. as a social worker. And so it was observing my positive social media use that really led me to want to explore what social media can do to help uh, students, but also social workers. Uh, I've connected with a really diverse range of people and it's led me to go to events where I've learned about all different types of people that they have in social work uh, in the background, like people that are activists, people that are working on human rights things and uh, charities. And it's just given me a wider picture of social work as opposed to just what I've seen day to day on my frontline practice and in my organization. It's just given me more of a macro perspective of what social work is and, and sort of thinking about the global perspective of what we're trying to achieve around human rights. And I think that being on social media over the past few years has given me insights into things more broadly and it's it's given me more of a deep insight into social issues and what matters to people and I think sometimes in social work education it can seem a bit um it, it's not always it's like you you learn the academic stuff but it would yeah. be really good to link that earlier on with the practical and I do think that there's a big opportunity for that if you are following these trends you know on social media and you are listening to things from from practice and engaging with that so I suppose my dissertation really is on the positive aspects of social media and how that can help social work uh, because I noticed that a lot of the, the the research that's out there is around ethical implications and some of yes. the issues with it. You know, have you found that? 100%. I, uh, I was told at the start of my social work master's in front of everybody else, the whole cohort of us that all started at the same time, were told that the only safe thing to do with social media is to say nothing, do nothing, and be nothing. So it was a view of you can't say anything at all. And that's what we were, that's what was hammered into us. The only safe thing is to say nothing at all. And there was this culture of fear that no matter what you say, people will be able to take it against you. And we're really, really, really scared into doing that. Um as you can see, Kaylee, I've kind of disregarded that mm. given given the, the number of people that follow me on social media. I've clearly gone against everything that I was told in, in, in university. But yes, there is. There's a massive culture. And when you have a look, the research around social media is all the ethical implications, and we'll discuss some of those later, the dangers of what social workers can and can't say, the impact of potentially engaging with service users on social media, the ethical dilemma of should you check a public social, should you check the public profile of a service user who's engaged with you as a social worker. There is very little positive, and as well as there being very little positive reporting of the use of social media and social work it's very structured it's very it lacks structure i think we are quite early on in social workers using social media i think twitter is very top heavy with academics retired social workers senior figures and commentators 
I think Twitter is an amazing space for being able to engage with senior figures in social work. I think Twitter, on the flip side, is terribly poor of getting the voice of the silent majority because Twitter tends to be dominated by senior figures, academics, service managers, and so forth. There are very little high-profile, prominent practicing social workers like me and you on there. There are some of us, like me and you, but it seems to be very skewed towards a small percentage of the social work workforce make up a vast percentage of tweets. That's just my experience. I don't know if you've seen something. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. And I I think that's something that I found from my research that um, it, it was a study from 2017, so a few years back, and one of the students fed back that they, they found it was very professional-to-professional discussion. They didn't yes. feel that it was students uh, having the discussion. But I, I'd be interested to uh, see the research, you know, if it was from this year, because obviously we've had the COVID-19 pandemic, and there has been quite a lot of student groups coming up, and mm. I know them because uh, they've been sharing my YouTube videos, so, and, and I think that the really good groups that I've seen, and I think that's what's, that would be so beneficial if the, there's these support groups, because yeah. It, it just widens your network of support, doesn't it? Because, you know, you're not always going to find people within your class, possibly, that have the same interests. But across the country, you might find someone that that definitely is similar to you. So it's really mm. helpful. Um, but, I, yeah, I think that it's going to be a growing thing. But I absolutely had the same experience on my degree as you, where the only focus was on what you couldn't do. And that's exactly. been the same within my local authority. But I think from doing my master's, I've had a lot more independence with what I've chosen to research. So I did a contemporary practice module and I chose to do it about um, I, I created a video as part of it and I submitted that. And I think things like that have been really interesting. And now that's being used as part of the the uh, training and the teaching at, at oh, UCAP. Wow. So I'm really proud wow. of that. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So it's like, I, I think the the, uh, the academics are taking it on board and you know I'm grateful for for doing this master's and at UCLan because it was someone there that encouraged me yeah. to go on so it's like without that I wouldn't have done this because it's definitely not something that in your local authority they'd sort of tell you about is it it's it's not sort of commonplace that people do it um I don't know what you found it might be different where you are uh what I found is um... <laughs> There's there's a distinct gap between social workers who are on social media to further their career and social workers who are on social media to share their views. That's what I would say. I think it's if you were to draw a line between the two, mm-hmm. social media can be a very powerful tool if you want to climb the ladder because people in senior positions are very easily accessible on Twitter, very easily accessible. And I'm sure you are far too polite to say this, Kaylee, so I'm not going to push you to comment on this, but I am a troublemaker, so I'm going going to say this. I think if you go on Twitter, it's very easy to see the social workers and figures in social work that are using Twitter to network, to push an agenda, to further their own career, to further their own development, development programme to further their own training, 
books and so forth. Not that I'm saying there's anything wrong with that. That has been the way time has always been forever. You know, it's always been the case if, if you've got something to sell, you need to promote yourself and you need to network. So I'm not against that. I'm just saying there's a very clear line between people who are on social media that are playing it safe and that are networking and that are trying to get in with the right circles of people and those who are on social work platforms on social media twitter facebook instagram mostly twitter you tend to find these communities because it tends to be more one-to-one discourse and then these are this other group which would be those i would say who who've got a voice for, for better or worse because there are a lot of people who like to go on twitter just to cause issues who like to wind people up who like to find fault equally a lot of people go on twitter to campaign but i think there's a very there's a bit of a divide between people like yourself who are going on there just because you want to do a good thing. You want to share your voice. You want to amplify your voice. You've got nothing to sell. You're not looking for a promotion. You're not looking to network. You're spending your free time doing the right thing, helping other people, helping connect people, sharing YouTube videos to try and help our profession. Yet there are some people who do a similar thing to you on social media, many people who are doing a similar thing to you, but selling a course, or selling books, or selling a program, but advancing their own profile because they want to get into a certain position. I'm not saying either of those is right or wrong. I just think it's very obvious that there's an agenda from some people on social media, and that's what I found. I found that it's quite obvious, and I, I question... I question whether that's genuine or not. I, I I always like it when people are open and honest and heartfelt and genuine. And sometimes when I see people on social media constantly retweeting things from senior managers, tagging in other people who's in a position saying, yeah, great job, really well done. I just cringe a little bit, Kaylee. I really do. It's not, it doesn't, doesn't sit right with me. I don't think it's too genuine. Yeah, and I think... I think you just see lots of different types of things, don't you? And I think what I did for a while was I took more of a bystander approach to social media. And I think I'm glad I did that because I think you do have to understand it before you start posting. And I think uh, when you do start posting at first, you're not going to have a following, are you? So sometimes it can feel like you're talking to yourself and that you're not (laughs) like, you know, it's that way. And and it's actually really daunting, isn't it, to to put yourself out there. I had to get uh, the first time I wanted to share something. I I actually had some support from a friend uh, that knows Twitter and uh, that gave me the confidence, really. But what I was going to say is I... From doing my research and talking to people, there does seem to be a pressure more on academics and lecturers to have a social media presence. And I think that there's more of a push for them to do that. So I don't know whether there's pressure for, on them, you know, from their ah, perspective. So you think there's pressure from employers and the university? Yeah, I think it, I think there is, you know, from, from ah. the universities. Um, I, and I've heard concern from uh some some academics that you know I know well uh, who've said that their concern with that is that when you are a tutor or a lecturer you are meant to be in a position where you are challenging and you're getting people to think critically but if you're trying to get likes or you're trying to get popularity you it'd be difficult to say those things because you're not always popular Mm. for that so it's you know it 
there's so many different things to think about. It's very complex, isn't it? About the, the pull and pull factors, you know, of, of all of that. Um, I've had some opportunities that have come that I would never have got from working in the local authority. I, I wouldn't think, you know, at my level as a frontline social worker, uh, where I have spoken about what I see for the future of social work. And that's been through connecting people asking me through being on Twitter. And I found that that's been a really good opportunity, you know, to have my voice as yeah. a social worker in that way. So it's hard, isn't it? Because there's, there's different aspects to it, but I can see what you're saying as well. And I think, I, I don't know whether it, it's about people's personalities as well. Because I was thinking about this today when, uh, when before this meeting with you, but I tend to think that with my personality, I'm not the sort of person in a meeting who says the things that are like, you know, it, 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 I don't say things in a rude way. Like I, I, I more take a back seat. If there's something that needs to be said, I will say it, but I'm really yeah. careful about the way I'm saying it. But then sometimes you find people, don't you, in practice where you think, well, I'm glad they've said that because I was thinking <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, yeah. but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm too scared. And, uh, and I think like your personality, it's good to know who you are because yeah. then that personality can come through on the way that you you are on social media. And before I actually built up what I was doing, I spent a lot of time thinking about why I was on there. And I think that if people put a little bit more of a step between what they put out there, it can avoid some of the mistakes, you know. Um, you know, if you know exactly your intention behind things, it, it can help you. But... Yeah, like you say, people have different intents for being on there, but that's that's just what I was going to say. I, uh, I, I, when I see issues on on the social media, when I see fighting amongst social workers and and people are really criticising one another, I I quite often think, you know, this would never be the same if you were together in person. Mm. Do you think social media can lead to a lot of issues and a lot of anger? And the, the nature of having to condense, if you think about Twitter, the nature of having to condense your views down into short, snappy paragraphs. Do you think that can lead to issues? It is As much as social media is bringing us together, do you think it can also be pushing us apart and, and exacerbating differences as opposed to exemplifying and amplifying all of the things we've got in common? Yeah, absolutely. I think it can lead to um, misinterpretation of w what you're saying. And you haven't, I mean, if you think about communication, it, it, a lot of it's nonverbal, isn't it? So it's very difficult. And in practice, I've tried really hard to, if I can do it over a phone call, I will, you know, unless I need a paper trail, because yeah. it's just so easy, isn't it, for, for things to be taken the wrong way. Um, and I think, I think that's been exacerbated by COVID as well. Yes. But I, I definitely think that it's very difficult to, to get a point across, which is why I've chosen video, to be honest, because I, I like to be able to explain things in my own words without that restraint. Although a, a lot of, um, I, I mean, a key article that I've been reading is the medium is the message. And it's about how the medium that we use uh, affects the message and the way it's communicated so yeah with twitter you've only got that certain amount haven't you so that's going to change the message um and whatever you use impacts on that so 
Why do you think YouTube is so bereft of social workers? Because if someone was to say to me, can you name any social workers on YouTube? I could give two names. And the only reason I give those two names is because they're both people that I know and have been on the podcast. One is Diana Katoto, who was on the podcast about a year ago. And the other one is you. That's it. I, I can name two people. Now, if you would have asked me to name social work platforms, accounts or people on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, I could give you hundreds on each platform. I could only give you two on YouTube. Now, given how big a platform YouTube is and given how popular it is, why do you think so many people are doing what you're doing, Kaylee, on YouTube? So few. I think, well... Yeah, so few. Yeah, for, for one, I think it's really hard to to get the audio right, to get the video right, it, it, you know, all of that side of things. But I think, you know, on the whole... It's scary putting yourself out there on, on yeah. YouTube. Uh, you, it's very easy to say something wrong and think that you've got it right and then you put something <laughs> out and people get offended or take it the wrong way. Like I know I'm saying that it's easier, you know, when you have more space to say things, but yeah, I, I don't I actually I don't know why there's so few, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I think it would be really useful. But, I mean, there's a lot of psychology on there, isn't there? There's a lot of psychologists. There's a lot of people from that are scientists and also there's almost everything else but social work. Um, but then you, it's very difficult, isn't it? Because if you think about what can be shared, you're not allowed to share any personal information, are you, about the, the sort of work that we do? So I suppose you have to include theory in it if you're going to be talking on there or some of your experiences as a person and a lot of social workers don't like talking about theory do they whereas I feel like in psychology um for some reason people are a lot more confident with it so there's some of the things I've thought of what do you think see I I was tempted years ago to do a YouTube channel which was a bit bizarre given it wouldn't lend itself to someone who's mostly anonymous. But still, I did think about doing a YouTube channel. But I, I went with the podcast format instead. And the reason I chose the podcast is I, my view, rightly or wrongly, it's been over two years I've been doing the podcast now, but my view was that the things I want to discuss and the themes I want to reflect upon lend themselves more to long-form discussions mm -hmm. like this. And if I was going to do a YouTube channel, it would have simply been exactly what we're doing now, but recording it as well. And that that was just my belief, because if I thought about, you know, my social media is, is content, discussions, images that evoke a response and bring up interesting points and uh, have discussions regarding them, blog articles, lengthy posts, sharing my personal views and, and feelings about the social work profession. All that being said, I simply felt that my, what I was wanting to say about social work and the people I was engaging with, such as yourself, lends itself better to long form conversations on YouTube, on YouTube, either if it was, was going to be on YouTube, you know, to record these conversations or podcasts really. But, 
that being said, that well, that's just my view. That's just what I do. I think that, you know, I want to focus on areas which is writing and the podcast. Those are the two things that I feel are the best platforms for we, for me to convey my views and just have the kind of conversations I want to have. That being said, I think there are massive opportunities on, on YouTube to do the kind of things you were talking about, training, theory, practice experiences, how to prepare yourself as a student, going through writing techniques, going through skills, the diary of a social worker. I have seen quite a lot of people start YouTube channels, do one or two videos, then not take off and then fall by the wayside. I've seen a lot of people dip the toes in. Mm -hmm. What I haven't seen is anybody make the level of commitment to make the kind of quality of videos you do. We should actually give a shout out to your videos. You've mentioned you're on YouTube for a couple of times now. Um, if listeners want to, if listeners want to find you on YouTube, what's the best way of searching for you, Kayleigh? Just type in Kaylee Rose Evans and I come up now. Perfect. There we go. Thank you for that. Um, no, no, no. I'll, I'll put it in the link as well. I'm sure uh, our listeners will be more than keen, more than keen to check out your YouTube channel. Um, I, I was just going to mention, I think the thing with YouTube is, um, I realised early on, if you just do a video and you put it on there, it, it's very difficult for it to get seen. So yeah. I realised that I had to build up a platform on other places. So I had to use Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, build up a network on there for, for them to then see the videos on YouTube. So just in case anyone's thinking of doing it, that'd be my tip. <laughs> so you think that because, uh, do you think there's much of a, a social work audience on YouTube then? Do you think these social workers aren't using it that much? And that's why you think you have to create a platform elsewhere and funnel social workers to YouTube? Possibly. Uh, although... When I type in my topics now, I find that they do come up on a Google search anyway. Uh, it's just the way it works out. But, mm. I, yeah, I think that m maybe it's because of that, and I think people are searching more on YouTube. I feel like people are wanting different types of learning tools now, and I've mentioned it, but I do I do feel that generally there's, there's a lack of resources around um, audio books as well. Yeah. And I, I, I feel that that's something that I really want to focus on in my career, filling these gaps of things that I think would be really useful. And I think it's inspired me really from feeling like I wasn't an academic person to then getting, the, you know, managing to get through it. But a big part of what I share on YouTube is the real stuff, you know, the real feelings that you have, because yeah. I feel like unless you talk about it, um, you, you don't realise that a lot of people are actually feeling the same. And, and I've had a lot of things that have inspired me in practice as well. Since I've started, I've had the odd opportunity to do talks um, through work, but I've found that it's been seen as not really my role, although people have sort of said that they think it's a skill of mine. And I think social media is just brilliant in that way because it gives you the opportunity to really pursue your passion. And I think it's just about figuring out what platform's best for you. Because I, I feel like I, I'm enjoying the speech side of it, but I love YouTube. Like I, I've listened to it for years uh, before. And, I, and, you know, I just have a lot of respect for, for what's on there. And I think 
I think that's what really has given me the drive. And I, this isn't like a year plan for me. This is like a till I'm 90 in this chair. I mean, they can't <laughs> see the chair because it's a podcast, but if they search for me on YouTube, they'll see me. I know just hopefully it will get better over time, but I'm doing a lot of things to try and improve it. But do you know, it's been really good because sometimes in social work, I found that doing social work was becoming a bit like my whole identity. Uh, whereas doing this has been really good because I've I've uh, gone into a public speaking group to increase my confidence. And I've done other things to sort of widen my hobbies and obviously learning editing and getting a camera and all of that. And I think it just really helps you. And I think sometimes you only do things in life that you think are going to get you to a certain destination. But I've met people now, just being around certain people elevates you. So like, obviously talking to you right now, it's like, it's a massive opportunity. Um, and there might be something that we talk about today that I'll come up in an interview, um, you know, a question, and it's just a thought that we've discussed at length today. And then it'll just give me a better response, you know, for, for when I'm in that situation. So I think it's not just about what you're doing. It's about the sort of person you're becoming in the process. Do you know what? It's 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 so powerful you say that because it, it, it's hit on something that I feel that I've rarely spoken about. Quite often, such as the nature of humanity, you will tend to sadly focus on the negatives and rarely speak about the positives. That's just how we are hardwired as human beings. But I am incredibly grateful for the platform that social media has given me to reach out. I, I am incredibly enriched by the podcast, mm. by people that get in contact with me, but by that platform. And I genuinely, I, I do not know what I would do with my time if I had not had my social media platforms over. Now, the, the majority of my social work career, three quarters of my social work career has been spent whilst I've been blogging and writing as a social work tutor and doing the podcast and so on. And it has made me such a better social worker because of that. And it's made me a better person as well because I have the opportunity to engage with people such as yourself. I have the opportunity to have, you know, we've got 10,000 average weekly listeners who listen to this podcast who come from 90 different countries. As I said on the podcast before, whoever you are, my friend that is listening in Papua New Guinea, please do get in contact with me. I would love to come out and, and see you in Papua New Guinea. But it's amazing and the plot it can be used for such good. So we were talking earlier about you know the use of social media and what, what it could be beneficial for. Right now is the perfect example, the fact that it's connected me and you when we can sit here and we can have this conversation to bring it back a little bit let's talk about some specific dangers of social media for social workers i'm going to discuss one or two sort of high profile articles here one or two high profile cases that have come to attention national attention over the past sort of four or five years that made national headlines for those of you listening to this who aren't aware of these uh, news stories and want to check into them, I will post the links on the Facebook group and also put it on Twitter as well if any of you want these links. But you should be able to find them just by Googling this. The first one I want to talk about, and this is something you may be aware of and it may have come up in your studies, but I know we discussed it the other day when we were having a chat, is the case of the social worker Siobhan Condon. Now, Siobhan, in 2014, um, I went on social media on Facebook and she made a public Facebook post bragging about 
um, a judge giving a family, as she put it, a massive rollicking. And she even referred to the solicitor and talked about the solicitor's fine nails and shoes and also discussed that she was going to do a mammoth grim task of removing youngsters from their home and put three kisses at the end of that message on Facebook. So again, if people just want to search Siobhan Condon or search for social worker, Facebook post, there's lots and lots of news articles about this if people want to look into it. I'm just going to ask you on this one, Kaylee. What are your views on, on that? Because on the one hand, Siobhan hasn't done anything illegal. She has not done anything that is slander. She has not said anything that has, um, you know, criticised the local authority or done anything that was inappropriate in a legal sense. But on the other hand, she is going on Facebook at what is very well the worst time ever in two people's lives when their children were taken out of their care. And she is using words like massive rollicking, mammoth grin, grim task, and complimenting a solicitor on her fine nails and shoes, whilst essentially live blogging what is going on in a courtroom. Um, She's faced sanctions from HCPC, Healthcare Professional Council, which has now been replaced by Social Work England here in England. And she was found guilty of misconduct and the local authority where she worked decided not to renew her contract. She wasn't struck off, but she was put under a monitoring condition for a year. Now, there are lots and lots of different stories I could bring up about social work misuse of social media, both anecdotally and things that have made the headlines. The reason I brought this up is this was one that made national headlines. This was everywhere. Um, What do you think of this story before we sort of talk about the right or wrongs of it? Uh, would you ever do something like this? Would you ever dare do something like this? And and do you think it was appropriate that Siobhan was given that year-long uh, caution? Do you think she should have been struck off? What's your take on it, Kayleigh? Um Well, the fact that she said that it was an amazing moment makes me think that it was something that she was proud of in her career, this moment that she was talking about. Because otherwise, I, I don't see why she'd have posted it or, you know, if she, she wanted people to know the sort of day that she was having and uh, to share that with people. But the way that it was posted makes you feel like she's not really thought through the full implications of what's happened for the family. And I would, you know, I would I would be horrified if if I thought that people were viewing me saying something like this or in you know in real life if they heard it um I think that what social work's really predicated against is um integrity and that's people having trust in the profession and I think that things like this are a negative um use of social media and and I think that it's just it's not very professional and I think that Social work really, it, I, I don't know if social workers always think it, but we are professionals, aren't we? Yeah. And I think sometimes that's easy to forget. But that means that we, we've signed up for 
for certain rules and uh, you know things that we do follow and and that might not be uh, strictly you know a legal thing but it's it's principles that we're meant to follow and and that's around private we need to be making sure that we're protecting people's privacy and we are dealing with people where it's just such a high degree of um input that we have in people's lives and we we need to be so careful with that and use like a a judgment around it and I think in this case was it not her manager where she'd actually commented on what was being said throughout yes yeah and that makes me think that there was maybe like a training issue at the time around that because um obviously she didn't the manager didn't realize either so I think it just shows like that people aren't really aware of um information being available on social media because she I think she mentioned didn't she the social worker that she thought it was just being shared amongst friends but but even then even even then if you had your Facebook account locked down would Mm. you ever consider going on and and you know we've got to be honest here it does come across as if she is gloating and and she is celebrating children being taken from parents now having been a child protection social worker for the length of time I have had I, I have done I have done this many times more times than I care to imagine and each time it's heartbreaking even if it is the right decision even if children have been horrifically abused and neglected in parents care you don't there's no there's no winners in this no but she if you have a look at she was taking glee in it she was saying judge gave the being proud and being happy and wanting to write on her personal facebook that a judge gave parents a rollicking why why would you why would you take satisfaction in a judge criticizing some parents i just don't understand that mindset i really don't yeah and i think also there's a lot of negative media around social work but particularly children's and there's a lot of viewpoints that children uh, like social workers are only involved to take children away but actually in reality it's very difficult to get to that point and you have yeah and uh, but this sort of thing makes it seem like what people perceive this negative view of social work is the reality and i think that that's very dangerous because People need to have trust in services because otherwise that can lead to people not getting the support that they need at the right time or people not being trusting the social workers. So people not giving us information about, you know, abuse that might be happening. Um, And and I just, I think it's sad because, I I mean, I, I, I I do have to say, I feel sorry for her because this must have been, you know, when this came out. Oh, God. And her face was everywhere. You know, she was in all the papers. I mean, as you can imagine, the Daily Mail had a field day with her. They Mm. even published a picture of her. They'd taken off her Facebook page, which is quite ironic. Actually, she's in trouble for getting being on Facebook and the Daily Mail scalp a picture from her own Facebook to put in the paper. They tracked down her friends. They found out where she was working. Yes, for for what is a mistake... It, it yeah, you've got to feel sorry for it, and it, it's a hard one because there was even criticism at the time. So a Tory MP at the time, uh, Simon Burns, actually questioned the leniency of the punishment. So you had a, an MP getting involved, actually saying, 
well, why have you already given her a 12-month supervision? Why isn't she struck off entirely? And it's hard because I, I do see it from both sides. On the one hand, like you, I, I certainly feel sorry for, for this person because if she did believe it was a, a private Facebook page she was posting up on and if she was perhaps having lots of pressure and stress at work, you can see how there might be those motivations behind that. But on the other side... Kaylee, my friend, this this drives a significant wedge between social workers and families, and this perpetrates an us and them culture that social workers are out there celebrating the fact mm-hmm. that children are being taken from their parents' care. It's just so wrong. Not only was it wrong to say this, but it's wrong to think these things. And I always yeah. question if, if somebody's willing to put something on Facebook or social media, then you can usually damn well guarantee that their views and what they are saying to people in private is usually a lot worse than that. And it's just so wrong to to take any satisfaction in what is the saddest day of those people's lives. Yeah. But maybe I'm wrong. Let's talk about a more interesting one. Let's talk about a funnier, funnier, if it's the (laughs) right word. So this is another example of a social worker getting in trouble on social media. This one's a bit funnier, though. So a tribunal found that a social worker, this was um, five years ago as well, a social worker called um, Sean Dickinson was found guilty of misconduct after he sent abusive messages to the prime minister at the time, David Cameron and Donald Trump. Um, He called David Cameron an insufferable prick and told him to F off. I can get away with saying prick on the podcast. I'm not going to say the F word. So, yeah, um, he faced the tribunal after he sent abusive messages from his public Twitter account to um, Donald Trump to David Cameron and um, yeah he was his comments were found to be obscene and he brought the profession into disrepute his exact words were that he called David Cameron an insufferable prick and a conceited uh, TWAT he also described Donald Trump as a conceited prick and said that his hair was shit um, I can't help but smile at that because it's, it's it's like what a thing to be doing as a social worker coming home and telling Donald Trump about his quality of of hair. Um, he also aimed fire Rupert Murdoch, who he described as a devil. Now, with this one, this is a, a bit different because whilst, of course, you know, he's being offensive and he's swearing at people, these views aren't exactly uncommon. There are a lot of people out there who have these views of David Cameron. There are a lot of people, a lot more people out there who have these views of Donald Trump. A lot of people would question the suitability of Donald Trump's choice of hairstyle. Um, They might not go so far as to describe it as a shit haircut, but I'm pretty sure a lot of people would think it was as such. What do you think about this guy being uh, accused of misconduct? Um, Because it's very different he's not he's not doing it from a position of practice he's not framing it within his practices as as a social worker he's not doing it during his day he's not even discussing the fact he's a social worker but yet he is a social worker who in his free time is telling high profile politicians what he thinks of them do you think this is any different to what the previous social worker did or do you think this guy should should be allowed is this free speech um yeah no i think 
I mean, it's not something I would ever do. But uh, no. I mean, far too polite to do that. You far too polite. No, of course. Can you tell? I could hear you cringing just at me merely saying the word prick. <laughs> so when I could hear your audible breath and cringe at me even saying these words, I doubt they have ever come out of your mouth, my friend. But would well, you? What, what shall do you we leave it? Yeah, let, let's just <laughs> stay with that view of me. So the language, obviously, is offensive to a lot of people, isn't it? Yes. Um, and I think it's similar to what we said last time that you're expected to be a professional, aren't you? And in the public eye, obviously you can get away with saying things if you are in private, but you can't. Can, can you imagine in real life if if this person actually went and said this to these Fair people? Yeah. And I sometimes think like social media makes you feel like it's not real life, but but it is, and there's real world consequences to saying things like this in public. And I think that as a social worker, you're expected to have a level of self-awareness and be able to manage your own emotions and not just react. I don't think we're, I mean, we're trained to do that, aren't we? And and reflect. Um, And I think that this just shows that he wasn't really doing that. And, And you wonder, like I, and I do think that it's something that you develop from being on social media, but I, I mentioned it briefly earlier. I mean, you do have to think about what your intention is with what you're sharing, don't you? And why you're sharing it. And I think that sometimes people maybe share things like this because people want to read it, don't they? People go like reading rants and you see that a lot of people do um, spend ages reading the public arguments and things, but it, cause it gets you followers, but it's not a good thing. And you have to think like, I wouldn't want to risk my job for just a flippant comment online. You Not know? worth it. The, 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 no. it, it, I, I always think it's bizarre when people do these things because the cost versus reward ratio, the risk yeah. versus reward ratio is so totally skewed against you. The best thing you are going to get is a couple of people liking or retweeting your tweet and saying, great, yeah, really good, you stick it to the man. That's the best. You're going to get a small rush of dopamine because you've seen a notification gone off on your phone and you may get some sort of sense of kinship with a stranger mm-hmm. on the internet who has a similar view to you. But when you weigh that up against the massive risk, as was found by this social worker, when he was found, you know, to to have been uh, guilty of misconduct for doing this, it doesn't add up to me. But should we have a right to be able to offend people? I know this is like something that's often talked about now, isn't it? But I think you have a right to say what your thoughts are, but I just don't think social workers should go in on someone like it because because the thing is you meant to separate the person's behaviors from the person aren't you that's part of uh, being a social worker so you might not agree with his views but it's not really the right thing to do uh, to 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 judge someone uh, um, on their personal characteristics or the way they look and it makes you think would they do that in practice you know I don't know I just think, I think you have to be very careful with things like that. And this is where I differ a little bit because I, I, I think these, I think these two stories are wildly different. Because yeah. for me, I 
I always struggle when I find social workers getting in trouble and being found guilty of bringing the profession into disrepute, which is often the label that we're given, for things that aren't illegal, that Mm -hmm. haven't hurt anyone, and that had nothing at all to do with their employment. So if we have a look at the first example we discussed, of course, that does hurt people, it hurts the families and the children that were involved in that situation. And of course, it is relevant to the workplace, you are discussing on a public platform, things that have happened in work, you might not have named the children, but obviously, the parent in this case, found that out by searching the social workers facebook platform that's where it came from the parent themselves who was you know the 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 recipient who was the target of these comments was the one that found them and god knows how she must have felt it must have been terrible to see your worst days described in such a gleeful manner by a social worker in this situation with the second example though I struggle. I struggle with the idea that he's brought the profession to disrepute because my argument would be with so what? Yeah, yeah, he's offended somebody. Yeah, he's told somebody to F off. But let Twitter handle that. Let his, let, let his account be banned. Maybe just have a word with him and say, look, don't do this again, mate. I struggle that th- this is such a serious act that, he's accused of being unprofessional and he's accused of professional misconduct. If he did it on a work computer, if he did it whilst expressly clarifying, well, I'm this social worker and I work for this council and I'm speaking on behalf of my profession and on behalf of the, my employer to say these things, yeah, I get it. Even if he did it on work time, there's an argument that what we do and send this at 2.30pm on a Tuesday afternoon when you should have been catched up on paperwork. If there can be a link and a tie to his profession, I get why somebody such as this man should be held up to account for that and that could potentially be misconduct. What I struggle with is that people can express their free speech in their private time that has nothing at all to do with their profession, but simply the fact that they are that profession can bring them into disrepute. I struggle with that. I struggle I struggle to imagine any single client in the world not wanting to work with this man because he once sent a couple of offensive tweets to Donald Trump. I that that doesn't seem right to me, Kaylee. I don't know what you think, but it didn't seem right to me. Yeah, I'm I'm just trying to think really. I think in terms of the first one, obviously they were in a position of trust, weren't they? Yes, with that exactly. family. And, and it's targeted at that family. It's targeted at a client. It's, it's, yeah. It's against the client. Those That glee is at the expense of a client they were supporting. Yeah. But I, I also see, like, with the second example, that, that's the sort of thing that reminds me of that that talk they did with us in, in social work at uni around the things not to do, yeah. you know? Just be careful about posting things like this. But... I totally agree that we should have free speech and and I and I do disagree with people being, you know, deplatformed and all of that. Yes. But he's not saying anything meaningful by what he's That's saying. It's not yeah, gonna yeah. have any positive impact. And I know that social workers aren't just required, you know, in the private life to have positive impact on society, but I also think like there's nothing good that can come from it, really. No, no, no. it's just unnecessary, you know, to have it on there. And I think didn't didn't the person say that he was just having a bad day? Yeah, yeah, 
And it's so, as simple as that. And he's venting. Um, he's venting. And I think maybe he just, maybe people should, I think there's a lot of things where, you know, people as social workers need to be more willing to accept support themselves when they're having, yeah. you know, when they're struggling. Like, I, I think there's a view in social work, like we can, we offer people support, but I'm more willing to receive it as well, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm up for an intervention anytime listening. Yeah. Guys. If any of you guys want to intervene in my life, I certainly need it. And look, I just think this guy, look, what he did was wrong and what he did was stupid. And I'd never do it or advise anyone to do it because it, it is absolutely stupid. Why on earth would you do that? But I just, I, I, I find his punishment disproportionate is essentially what my feelings on this one. Yeah, it was wrong. Yeah, it was stupid. But does he really deserve to have his face pl- plastered? Yeah, that, that's, that's yeah. Um, Let's get on to talk about more positive things again, my friend. Um, let's talk about the benefits of social media. Tell me a bit more about your YouTube channel. What kind of things are on there? How long have you been doing it? And what sort of videos will people find on there if they go on? Well, I started off uh, with my friend, actually, um, who's a, a Paralympian. He was a Paralympian in the... Um, doing wheelchair rugby and me and him have had some uh, quite a lot of conversations around uh, the perceptions of people with disability so we've done uh, some stuff on there around uh, sex and things like that you know and all sorts of things well that's going to get the listeners in yeah i love that kaylee i love that i say to you tell tell me something about your youtube channel um yeah if you want tips about uh, rugby sex yes what what say that again wheelchair rugby sex videos yes yes (laughs) it's not actually no it's not that graphic but um my friend yeah he so that's where we started and i also work with the uh, mcintyre charity um, yeah. and that's a charity for people with learning disabilities um and so they were part of it around um, asset-based community work so stuff like that is where i started yeah. I, I am keen on sort of addressing some social uh, justice issues so part of my channel is around that the majority of the stuff that i've been focusing on is conversations around uh, practical tips for people uh, to to managing social work with the realities of it yeah. uh, i mix in a bit of theory but make it understandable if i can um and from my knowledge and experience as well and practical things around uh, managing a caseload sort of <laughs> around uh, interviewing some people that I've been privileged to meet along the way so uh, lecturers and things just to give tips on sort of putting them on the chair and asking uh, what what they can do to advise us on how to improve our uh, results you know in essays that's something yeah. that's coming up so I've got loads of different things but I think it's good for students and I, you know I've been there as a student and I've been there as a social worker so I just try and share a bit of myself and a bit about what I think the gaps are really that's not uh, sort of shared at university and I'm just trying to to add to the knowledge that's out there really from my well you know my view Kelly. I think it's superb I've been you know looking at your videos for over a year now while you've been posting that there's there's well over 100 on there you've got a hell of a 
wide and varied range of videos. So listeners, I can I can vouch for 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 Kaylee's content on YouTube. Just go on there and as Kaylee said earlier, just search Kaylee Rose Evans and you'll be able to check them out. Where do you see yourself going in future? What are your long-term plans? It sounds like the miracle question. It's I'm social worker, you know, my friend. <laughs> Kaylee, where do you see yourself in five years' time? Um so well I've I was initially inspired by people like Esther Perel, Brené Brown, um, people like that. And I like the fact that they are practitioners, but yes. they also teach things in a way that's uh, really relevant to everyday life. So I, I suppose that's what I'm trying to craft with what I'm doing. I'm trying really hard to improve my speaking um, so that my videos are as useful as they can be for people. I, I want to uh, carry on with trying to make them as relatable as possible. So I've been working on that. I, I'd like to uh, develop myself as like a practitioner trainer. So uh, some of the time I'm going to be doing talks uh, to, to help practitioners. I think that I want to try and facilitate reflective discussions where we can all be it's sort of like a podcast style, I suppose, yeah. but to 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 conversations like that. So I'm going to carry on doing that for YouTube, but also um, actually doing training. That's what I hope to do as well, but keep my hand in practice. Um, and I think carrying on with um, studying about social media and maybe putting out things to do with that and, and bringing out audio books and things. But on YouTube for the next year, it's going to be focused around bringing theory in, making it more real. And hopefully I can help social workers feel a bit more empowered around talking about theory because I know that I got put on the spot once about it in my placement and I really struggled and I never wanted to feel like that again so I improved how I spoke about it and I spent a lot of time doing that and now for the next year or so I'm hoping to really focus on um, making videos where it's understandable for people so so it helps so that's my plan. Nice I like it. Where do you see social media taking social work in the future? So thinking outside of what you're doing on your platform, uh, what, from your studies and from your own use of social media and what you've learned from other people you've engaged with, where do you want to see us going in terms of using social media for the sake of our profession? I think that, a really positive thing has been the collaboration of um, academics with practitioners and seeing the value in both. And I think that it's good for more practitioners to be writing blogs that are really well thought out or putting out YouTube videos or whatever it is, because I think that it's really adding to the knowledge base. And I think that it's filling some of that gap that that can arise, you know, at university where, uh, where pe you know, to, to connect it together, really. And I think the more we can have, I just think the more we can have from every perspective will be better. And I think the social care future movement is a movement that I've been following very closely. Um, and it's to improve things for people with disabilities um, and people that use social care in general. And I think there'll be a lot more, movements like that that are going to gain momentum and work alongside social workers and I hope that social workers can collaborate more with you know activists and people 
And I think that that would be that would be really useful because I think that people should have more of a voice on the policies and the direction of social work and how it because we're meant to be serving people. And I just hope that people can collaborate more and that we get more, um, you know, around social media where people's voices heard. So I think it'll just get stronger. So that's what I hope for. How do you think we can break out of navel gazing at one another in social work and actually start engaging the general public? Because the main issue I found in terms of what I write is I a lot of my writing is about trying to get the reality of social work practice out there is to try and show social work in a more positive light and to try and bring attention to the issues we face, issues with a lack of finances, issues with massive social work turnover, issues with burnout, issues with far too many cases, issues with far too much paperwork, issues with social workers coming to the profession unprepared for the reality of the profession, things which me, you and all our listeners know all too well. The problem I've found is whilst I can quite often reach a hell of a lot of social workers and a hell of a lot of students and their family members and friends, it's reaching beyond that that I find very difficult. And how do you think we can perhaps use social media to go beyond that and start engaging with clients, the general public, and perhaps those people in power that can make a difference? Or do you think it's safer to only have discussions amongst ourselves online? Well, I have, I mean, I have some people that have used services, but I haven't met them through my social work role, apart from one person. Um, And I think that can be interesting. And I I think that's why I have my various social media platforms now, as opposed to just YouTube, because I get a lot of more private messages. And I think that is the good thing about having, you know, a smaller audience because you can engage with people more. And I think once you get bigger, it can be more difficult to know who's watching, can't it really, I suppose, Uh, or, uh, you know, and to engage properly. But um, I, I am inspired really by uh, Esther Perel. Uh, she's known as the people's therapist, uh, but the stuff that she puts out there is directly beneficial for people in general. And I, I mean, it, it's things like that that I take from. So part of what my planning is, is some of it's going to be around like theory and social work and all of that. But then other things that I've decided to do are around issues that everyone faces you know feelings of self-doubt and um you know uh, if you talk about issues that people face you know around direct payments um, in adults or you know things like that about continuing healthcare or whatever people can get in touch with you and say oh actually you've really explained that well and yes. that was something I was struggling with I even think that local authorities should make things more accessible to different groups I think a lot of people find video and audio better for for understanding I mean a lot of people can't read and I know that they do like large print and they do do certain things but I think that there'll be more of a change on making things more accessible for people um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of scope. And I, and I do think that I'm developing my video skills so that if local authorities ever took that on board, you know, I'd, I'd like to help with that sort of thing. I I, I think you're totally right there. We are, we are not very good at engaging directly and 
getting the views of the people we support. And that's the bizarre thing. The bizarre thing in terms of social work discussion online, social work debate, is it social worker to social worker? It's social worker to academic. It's academic to academic. It's senior figure to politician. It's politician back to social worker. It's all people that are already connected. Occasionally, you do get the voice of a client will break through into that conversation. But those are few and far between. I could probably name four or five different clients who have a a public platform that engage with social workers. And most of them come from a very specific subset of Mm -hmm. a service user group. And most of them also have the kind of vested interest I was discussing earlier, which is a vested interest in terms of getting paid to do training, getting paid to do speeches, or perhaps go to universities and deliver lectures, or perhaps have a book to sell. So again, because of that, I would question the, I don't want to criticize people, because again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I would question the authenticity of what is being presented as an umbrella term, the voice of service users, when there are millions of people out there who have been supported by or are currently supported by social workers. I would question why we have so very few people who have had support from social workers who were in positions when they're now able to discuss that on a public platform via a podcast, a Facebook, a blog, Instagram, Twitter, or whatever. It just seems very, very skewed that you've got, if you've got such a small section of people in social work, senior figures, dictating the discord when the majority of people who are in social work, i.e. the social workers themselves and the service users are unrepresented in that debate. Yeah, and I think just something I wanted to pick out of what you said there, I think there is a big problem, though, um, and it's something that I've learned from the social care future thing, um, is that people with disabilities are often asked to attend events and they feel like they're filling a quota and they're actually not paid, and everyone else will be paid, but Mm. then they'll be invited to fill that, but then they won't be paid, and I just think that's so unfair. Of course it is. It's I, totally unfair. Some people will be there, but some people will be there, and it'll be on five hundred, six hundred pounds yeah. a day for a senior so, figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like someone that's really brought that to light for me is Clinton. He he's someone to follow on Twitter, but he's he's a really good advocate for people who use services. I mean, he's been through services himself, but now he's yeah. uh, he's. Um, someone that I take a lot from and I think with my YouTube channel like the first thing I wanted to do was include someone um, you know the the, the, charity that was helping people directly and uh, include someone in in that because I didn't want to sort of control the narrative myself like I wanted to include people in it and and have that as like the value base really I suppose like underpinning it it's interesting what yeah. you're saying about tokenism. A lot of the time it's tokenism. A lot of the time it will mm-hmm. be a council might say, right, let's get together a small selection of children who are now adolescents, teenagers and young adults who've been uh, looked after and mm-hmm. let's get their views. Don't get me wrong, have, doing that is better than nothing. Yeah. But it's such a small subsection of people who have had involvement. I think really 
we should be trying to engage the people who've had negative experiences of social work. But no, but those are the hard conversations to have, Kaylee. Those are terribly hard. And I and look, I'm not saying I'm brave enough to do that. I, you know, I quite often have to block a lot of people from my Facebook page and, and Twitter and so on, uh, because they've had negative experiences yeah. of social work and they then look to target me because I'm a high profile social worker. Um, and I do that for my own safety because I've had some quite nasty threats um, yeah. against me and my family. And that was partly the reason why I went uh, anonymous about six years ago, about three or four months after launching my site. I went anonymous because of that. But I think I think you learn more from people who've had difficulties mm. and you learn from people who have had positive experiences. And that, for me, is... That's where I would like to see things going. And yes, there are lots of ethical issues because it's incredibly, incredibly difficult for a social worker to ever put themselves in a position when they're engaging with a service user online, even if it's not someone they've known personally. Like, you know, it's just not worth the risk for a lot of people. Yeah. And I think it does take a very particular skill set of knowing what you can and can't say. And and I, and I don't know, I just wanted to ask you as well, but I had to sign a form when I was doing my YouTube channel and having my public social media presence and just say that I was representing myself, which is obviously what I'm doing today, representing me as a person as opposed to the local authority. And I just wondered if you had to do something like that within your, where oh, you work. Or... The, 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 the problem with social work tutor is it, became far too big far too quickly Kaylee. Yeah. so when i i i just uh, tell you about how social work tutors started briefly but yeah long-term listeners will know this story but so basically i i set up i i i was on a, a social a student social worker forum um six 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 plus years ago early 2015 i can't remember what i was on there for i was on there for something banal like trying to get my NUS card extended when I really shouldn't have been because I wasn't a student anymore. So I was on there for like a naughty reason, to be perfectly honest, seeing if I could still get NUS discounts when I wasn't a member of the National Union of Students anymore, but still wanting my discounts. And I was on there and I just happened to stumble upon a social work section of the student room forums. And there was a couple of people on there asking questions about theory and how it relates to practice. And it's interesting because you were just discussing that earlier, my friend. So I offered some advice and then one of them asked if I could explain something a bit further. So I said, yeah, fine, let's hop on Skype. We'll have a chat. And then she asked me if I would be up providing some private tuition. And I thought, yeah, yeah, I've got some spare time. I'll do that. She says, what do you charge? And I thought, yeah, £10 an hour. That's more than enough. That'll do me. It'll give me a couple of pints of beer on the weekend, my friends, a bit of pocket money. And then she told her friend, who was also on the group, so I ended up tutoring two students. I then created a Facebook page called myself Social Work Tutor, basically for these two students, because there were articles that I would find and I would share from places like Guardian Social Care, Community Care, Children, Young People Now, and so forth, and perhaps research pieces. And I would share them and I'd sometimes share funny images that I'd seen elsewhere. But because they were sharing and liking them, their friends started following them, and then friends of friends started following them. And then word of mouth got out that I was offering you know, support as a tutor. And within about a month, I had about 100 followers of the Facebook page and I was supporting 10 students. That was more than enough for me. And now I've got 650,000 followers across social media. 
where did that happen? Because that was never the intention. I can't believe that was never the story. It was was as simple as that. It was as simple as that, my friend. So I just just to answer your question, when I had set up that private tutoring, I had to set up a private business because I was getting payments and I needed to put it through and pay tax on it. I had to go to my line manager, Leslie, at the time, and say to her, oh, Leslie, I'm, I'm running this, um, I'm, I'm, I'm working sort of part-time, what are the rules? She says, oh, well, if you're doing a job outside of your, your main job, you just have to write like a disclosure. So I did a disclosure, explained that I was doing this thing called the social work tutor, and I was providing private tutoring, and I had a small Facebook page, and I had a website, socialworktutor.com, and that was it. Um, I've only had to do that once, of course. My managers know what I do. It's a kind of open secret where I work. Everybody sort of knows it's me. People that know me personally and professionally, it's not a secret really. Uh, who I am, it's, it's pretty easy to find out if people want to as well. But yeah, that's how it started. And that's what I had to do. I just had to sign disclosure because I was supporting at the time two students. I was supporting two students for £10 an hour. And I had a Facebook page with 100 followers where I occasionally shared images and funny pictures and shared articles. And like I say, here I am six years later with over half a million followers. I think that'll really inspire some people that might be wanting to think <laughs> of starting. Do you think that, do you, what do you think has been like the key to your massive growth, would you say? Because I was the only person who was speaking about social work, honestly, when I started. Nobody else, everybody else. So you've got to think of the social media landscape in mm-hmm. 2015. Uh the social media landscape in 2015, nobody was really listening to podcasts. There was a couple of blogs out there. Community Care was the most popular platform for social workers here in the UK. You had a couple of large American social media platforms, one called um, Social Justice Solutions, which was run by a good friend of mine, Courtney, and another one called Social Work Helper um, that were quite big, and they kind of had, like, blogs attached, but that was it. So what you had, what you had in social work when I started is you had platforms, but you didn't have individuals. So you had social media platforms that Mm. were a platform that were community care that were the British Association of Social Workers in the UK, that were the National Association of Social Workers in America, that were social work blogs and social work presences. You didn't have an individual. You had no sort of individual social worker. So when I came out, again, it was just because I was tutoring people, but the when I was writing content, it was me as an individual. I wasn't writing on behalf of the British Association of Social Workers. I wasn't writing on behalf of my university. I didn't have a book to sell. I didn't have a course to promote. I had nothing. I was charging £10 an hour, which was a lot less than what I was getting paid at work. So I was I was doing it for no other motivation than trying to do something good. I had nothing to promote. I was just being myself. I was sharing the kind of things that I found interesting and having the kind of conversations that I was having at work with my friends. And the authenticity and genuine nature of that is what is is why it took off it crazily took off it the, the 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 growth was massive it was it was scary it was scary to suddenly have a platform that i didn't want or didn't aim for but then i had it 
so because i had that platform it was like god um what do i do do i monetize it do i change what do i do but i just kept doing exactly the same thing i've done and, and six years later i'm still doing exactly the same thing yeah I, you know i wrote a book and the book did really well you know it was it was it was a bestseller i'm very proud of the book and um, I've got like the Patreon that people subscribe to uh, to help fund the podcasts, but I've never had a course to promote. I've never had a, a, a products to sell. Really, I've occasionally sold like t-shirts and mugs. I've sort of dallied in that every time and again because my mum makes them, and I sort of she makes like social work themed mugs and t-shirts. So sold them on her behalf because she's like quite crafty. But that's just I, I do that very occasionally, just when you know she's she's came up with the design. But I think I think that's I, I think that's that's the only excuse that I've got. Um, that's the only reason I can give because I was just myself. Simple as that. I was myself. And and I think that is the key, you know. Of course. And and actually, I just wanted to recommend a book based on what you've said. It's called Ditch the Act. Um, right. it, it's Ryan Foland and Leonard uh, Leonard Kim, but it's a book that I read before I started, and everything that you said is actually what they say works You're on right. social media. I should have planned about, it. I should have read that book should, and planned it. So I you should have mistake. done. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's just about that people want a person. They don't. Yeah. Everything that we have now is like really. Uh, about getting money isn't it and promoting and everything's quite distant isn't it but they like every if you look at everything on social media even the ads now they're trying to make everything more real and genuine like they're even using models that are real people now and everything you know everything's uh, about being the individual rather than uh, being distant isn't it and and I think it's it's about your vulnerability as well like your willingness to share a bit about yourself or some of your actual struggles as well and the practical side of things but it's amazing what you've achieved it's really inspiring and I think um the consistency of what you've done like you said is probably key to it as well it's just keeping up with it as well but honestly it was just it was total accident it was a total accident and and I always say to people if I'd have known that this was going to happen I would have chosen a lot cooler name than social work (laughs) tutor I was like people like why you called the social work tutor I was like mate that was what I was doing I was tutoring social work students I mean I still do I still do support um, a handful of social work students and I support newly qualified social workers. So students that I've had will quite often stay with me and I'll provide occasional support for them, um, do like coaching sessions and help them through the career and so on. But I do it just for the interest. You know, I, I, I like, I genuinely love doing the podcast. The fact that we've got a lot of listeners who give us feedback, the fact that I can speak to interesting people and just have these sort of interesting conversations. But yeah, it's purely, purely by accident. And that is why... That's again why I'm grateful you've come on the show because what I see and what you're doing is everything I admire about people out there trying to make a difference. You've not got anything to sell. You've not got anything to promote. You're not doing this because it's part of a bigger agenda because you want a promotion or you want to, you know, progress in your academic career. You're doing it because you believe in it and you've got an authentic voice and you're doing this to make greater good in the world. And, you know, that's why I saw you and I thought, yeah, I've got to get you on the show. So thank you ever so much, Kaylee. That's really kind. Thank you. It means a lot, that. No, no, like I said, it's a pleasure. I'm incredibly grateful. Um, Before 
before we finish off, my friend, if you could just explain to our listeners one last time, if they have been inspired and infused by you, which I'm sure they have, because I certainly have, uh, how can they go about finding you on YouTube? And as well as that, how can they find you on Twitter and Facebook too? If they just type in Kaylee Rose Evans on YouTube, that'll come up straight away. Um, and if they go on Twitter, they just need to. I'm just checking it. Um, at Kaylee R. Evans on Twitter. Perfect, perfect. Well, Kaylee, like I say, it has been a pleasure. I am sure we will catch up again soon. And thank you ever so much for your time. Thank you. Right, listeners, as always, thank you ever so much for your time too. Um, I promised for a while that the podcast would be back, and here it is. I appreciate your thanks and your patience and your kind words in the time that we've had out. We are back next week with an interview with Leanne Wilson. She's an American social worker, and we are going to talk all about the model of practice she is employing over there. And every week after that, we will have a new guest as we move away from our traditional magazine model and move towards a guest model. So every week we're going to have somebody different on the show, just like Kaylee. For those of you who like the magazine model or want to follow up on the Out of Hours show or the Harry Potter podcasts, they are available over at Patreon. Simply go over to patreon.com forward slash social work tutor, where you can sign up to over 100 Patreon exclusive shows. You can sign up to our Out of Hours shows where I have people like Kaylee on, but we talk about less structured conversations. We could perhaps talk a bit more about those instructional videos for what you can and can't do in a wheelchair those are the kind of conversations we'd have on the out of hours show so if you do want to check that out head over to patreon.com forward slash social work tutor and i'll see you guys next week